subject for discussion this evening is life, death and beyond, is speaking, he's speaking of the human condition and of the fact that really we know nothing at all. That we're surrounded by this great mystery of life which we do not really understand. And Job asks a very interesting question. He says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you understand. Anyone here who thinks it might be a hundred or a thousand or ten thousand? This is a serious question uh, when I ask how old you think you are. And indeed, if we try to understand this subject of life, death and the world beyond, we have to come to understand the origin of all things. So let me ask you the question, when God created the universe, whoever or whatever you imagine God to be, we'll leave that aside, but when God created the universe, what did God create it out of? Now, some of you might be budding scientists or philosophers. Has anybody got any answers to that? What did God create the universe out of? What, what is this world, what is the solar system, the whole universe created out of? Any suggestions? Well, what do the scientists, some of you are scientists, say, so what are you scientists going to say? Now, this is a serious, this is a serious question. Sorry? Yes, you're, to, you're, you're speaking of, of the Big Bang. But what was before the Big Bang then? If the Big Bang, if, if the, big, the Big Bang, we understand that this whole universe of matter suddenly came into being, out of what did it actually derive its existence? Carbon. Carbon. Yeah, but where did the carbon come from? Uh, you see, this is an important question, which is, it involves us in uh, not just a scientific quest, but also a philosophical quest. Let me put it this way. When God created the universe, going right back to the beginning, do you think that one day God was walking down the road, supposing there was such a thing, and he found a lump of stuff and he said, ah, oh, good, now I've got something to create the universe out of. Is that feasible? No. Well, why not? <coughs> it, well, exactly. That's the point. If God found a lump of stuff to create the universe out of, who created the lump of stuff that God found? But we must think this out, because if you ask people this question... Uh, you get a variety of answers and of course there is one very simple, logical truthful answer to this question it's a simple answer actually when you see it what did God use to create the universe out of there was nothing else for God to use but himself so God, whoever or whatever you conceive God to be however you conceive of God God created the whole universe out of himself, out of spirit. In the beginning there was only pure spirit, mind, intelligence, wisdom. There was nothing physical, nothing 
that could manifest to the physical senses, just pure spirit. We're on good theological grounds here because the Bible says God is spirit. Actually, in the New Testament it says God is a spirit. And when the uh, translators came to translate the original Greek into the English of our New Testament, they thought it better to put God is a spirit. But in the original Greek it just says God is spirit, energy, mind, thought, intelligence. You see that? So when we say that God created everything out of himself, what we have to picture in our mind was that at a certain point in time, which again is uh, the wrong way of saying it, because there was no time before the Big Bang, but time and space began with the Big Bang. But if you think of the Big Bang as that moment when time began, when the physical universe began to appear out of what hitherto had been invisible spirit, then you begin to get the picture that I want us to have this evening. Everything was created out of spirit. Is that acceptable? Can can you accept that as as a working thesis? Everything was created out of spirit. Nothing else did it could come from. And those of you who are studying science will know something about relativity and you will know something about the, the, the relationship of matter to energy, energy or spirit. So taking this a step further, it follows that if everything was created out of spirit or out of God, whichever way you want to express it, There is not a thing in this world, not a thing in this universe, that is not created out of God. Are you with me so far? So, the table on which I sit, the chairs on which you recline, the floor upon which we stand, everything around us is a densification of spirit. Do you agree with that? It is energy... Uh, whose vibration has been stepped down so that it actually manifests to us on the physical and material plane. I don't know whether that's a difficult concept or not. It ought to be, because if you think about, about water, the different forms in which water can exist, as steam, as water vapour, it's virtually invisible. But if that water vapour comes in contact with a cold surface, it then condenses upon it, and collects into drops of water, and we're all familiar with water as the liquid which we drink and which is, of course, vital for all life. But think what happens to the water below 32 degrees Fahrenheit. It then becomes solid. So you see that the same element is capable of existing in the various forms, and we could say that in its densest form, water... uh, comes to us as ice, but in its more rarefied, most spiritual form, if you like, it's water vapour, it's virtually invisible. So the physical, material world has been created, is created out of spiritual energy. So that if you had a powerful enough electron microscope and looked at some particles of matter, you would find that there was nothing solid about matter at all. And, of course, this is a concept with which all of you who are studying uh, physics will be familiar. There's nothing solid at all, although you can wrap your knuckles on the table and it sounds solid. In fact, 
if you looked at it uh, under sufficiently powerful magnification, you would find that it was nothing but atoms and whirling electron uh, subatomic particles uh, and so on. We won't go into the subject of how it is that they cohere and, and hold together. The point is, where do you come from? If all around us has come from God, if everything is created out of spirit, then where have you and I come from? How old are you? Let me ask you another question. I asked how old you were. We ask ourselves this question now. When did you first begin to exist? When was the first moment of your existence? Well, was it when you were born? Was it, was it when you were conceived after your parents made love? You say yes. So... Sorry? I, 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 when the world was first created, of course. Of course. Because how could, how could you just have come into existence just at the moment of your conception? At this point, we might, it might be useful if we think about what is a human being in any case. Uh, you have a physical body, quite obviously, but you are not just a physical being because you have a soul, you have a spirit, you have within you a certain something which enables you to say, I am and you can put your own name after it. So we might call this the ego or the self-consciousness. <coughs> Man is different from animals and the rest of creation uh, around him in that he has this ability to think about himself and to say, I am. If you've got a pet dog or cat, the, the, the dog doesn't say, I am Rover. He doesn't think of himself uh, in that way at all. The chances are if the dog could think about himself or does think about himself, he would think that he was a human <coughs> being. But we are body and soul and spirit and there's a part of us which we call the self-consciousness or ego, that which enables us to identify ourselves. So when you came into existence in this lifetime, you came actually from spirit. And there came a moment when your parents made love and you said, that's it, this is my opportunity. And you, as a spiritual being, united with that fertilised egg cell. Can you see what we're saying so you came into incarnation you came from the spiritual plane into physical incarnation so what is going to happen to you when you die we're thinking about life and death and beyond why are we here in any case I've heard of three people uh, in the last 24 hours that have died. One was 90, another was 93, and another was 54. The average is about 70-something. The Bible talks about three score years and ten. People today are living a little bit longer. Many people are living into their 90s. But not many people live to be 110, do they? 
But the world, the earth, has been around for, what, 5,000 million years, I think, at the latest estimate? And what is 70 or 100 years or even 1,000 years in the whole history of the earth or of the solar system or of the, or of the universe? If you come from spirit when you're born into this earth, when the time comes for you to leave it, where do you go back to? Well, what do you think? Do you cease to exist at the moment of your death? These are things which we can think about. They are, of course, religious and spiritual questions and philosophical questions, but they vitally concern every one of us. And, of course, when the Lord asked Job the question, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? tell me if you understand what he was in fact saying to Job was you were there Job but can you remember it and of course he could not and neither can you or I remember our past existence in planes of spirit but undoubtedly we did exist and we shall continue to exist so this brings us to the whole question of life and death, the life beyond, the purpose of life, why we're here, where did we come from, where are we going, who is God, what is God, all of these, these questions. So I want to suggest to you that there never was a time when you did not exist. And there will never come a time when you will cease to be... <coughs> According to the Bible, you were there when God created the world, when he flung the stars out into space, <coughs> when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. I didn't say it, the Bible said that. And science leads us to that same understanding. For that which exists and has no end, also has no beginning. There never was a time when you did not exist, and there will never come a time when you will cease to be. You are soul of his soul, spirit of his spirit, being of his being, essence of his essence. There never was a time when you did not exist, and there will never come a time when you will cease to be. Now, I don't know whether that makes you feel good or not. So what do you think you're doing here on Earth? Did somebody say having a good time? <laughs> well, I hope, I hope that you are. But what, I mean, what's the, what is the purpose of, of life? What is the purpose of incarnation? We're coming up to the Christmas season and we're thinking about Jesus being an incarnation of God. But don't you see that in a sense you also are an incarnation of God? If you were created out of God, and everything was created out of God, then are you not also an incarnation of God? Well, if you are not, what are you? So why are we here? What is the purpose of life? What do you perceive to be your raison d'etre what's your purpose of being 
our physical bodies will disintegrate, but because we are eternal beings, there is part of us which must survive. And so your suggestion is that in some way or other we're gaining experience. Would anybody like to enlarge upon that or offer more? Why are we worshipping God if you aren't God? Mm. Why should we worship God, did you say? Well now, the question you're asking is fundamental to an understanding of, of our entire subject tonight because the chances are that you have never heard anything quite like this before this evening. I hope that you have. Uh, it, it's not original with me. But what we're really talking about is consciousness, are we not? That's what God was talking about when he said to Job, where were you? Job didn't know the answer. He wasn't conscious of the fact that he had an existence prior to his physical incarnation any more than you or I are conscious. So if we go back to the beginning and say that God created everything out of himself, let's put it this way, that at the beginning there was just pure, undivided, undifferentiated, undemarcated, boundless spirit and it was unconscious. <coughs> it is difficult to conceive this, but nevertheless we must try to. There was just pure mind, energy, wisdom, intelligence, spirit, whatever words you care to describe. There was just God, nothing on the outside. God was the totality of, of himself. And there was no distinction within God, just pure undifferentiated spirit but God began to densify off part of himself to bring into existence the physical universe so the physical universe is created out of the spirit of God but that part of the spirit of God is stepped down in its vibration so to speak to become physical are you with me so far? So that at the beginning, God, there was nothing on the outside of God, so God, in a sense, was totally unconscious. After all, supposing you existed in empty space with not so much as a star in the sky and you could not taste or see or fear, uh, feel or hear or smell, supposing you were cut off. What brought God Sorry? What brought him conscious? What brought God consciousness? <coughs> incarnation. That the point, the whole point of incarnation was that God should become conscious of himself. So we have a picture of God condensing himself into his physical universe so that every cell, every cell of creation ultimately has to become conscious of who and what it is. And what we're speaking of this evening and discussing together is our gradually becoming conscious of who and what we are, where we come from and where we're going to. Well, what we're talking about is consciousness and I suggested to you that the purpose of life was that we might realise God or realise the consciousness of our divine spiritual origin and then we see that our the real purpose of our existence is to return whence we came but in the full and perfect consciousness of who and what we are 
So everything has come out of God. Whether we're talking about human beings or stars and suns and planets, whether we're talking about the animals in the jungle or the grass under your feet, everything is conscious to some degree. Everything, as it comes into physical manifestation, enters upon the journey into consciousness. Now, I don't know whether any of you uh, are gardeners or whether you have plants or, or grow plants, but many of you will probably know that if you talk to your plants, your kindly, that is, your plants will respond. <coughs> it is generally recognised today that there is a, a certain consciousness in plants which enables them to respond to loving thoughts. The fact of the matter is that there is nothing in the universe which does not have a degree of consciousness. Now let me make it, uh, four, uh, four statements here. God sleeps in the mineral. When we think of the mineral world, the rocks and the ores, God sleeps in the mineral. He dreams in the plant, he stirs in the animal, and he awakes in man. Can you follow what we're saying in that? That there's a, a, a very, very low degree of consciousness in the mineral world, a slightly higher degree of consciousness in plants, a higher degree of consciousness still in the animal world, and a higher form of consciousness still in man. Man begins to wake up, and then he says, I am. Man is part of the animal world. Yes, yes, part of the animal world, but he has advanced, or he has evolved. I'm not now speaking about particularly about Darwinian evolution or the Darwinian concept of evolution but I'm talking about spiritual evolution now man has evolved spiritually beyond the animals in, to this extent that he now has a consciousness of himself <coughs> not a self-consciousness if you, if you looked at uh, the way animals behave I think you would have to say that they behave out of an <coughs> inbred instinct Man has the capacity to think about himself and to think about his actions. But does the dog have the ability to say, I am? I thought somebody would come up with that, about, about the dog knowing that it's done wrong. Yes, that's, perf that's, that's perfectly true, but... Um, uh, let's just think about this, this question of consciousness for a moment, because what we're suggesting is that the whole of the universe has got to come alive to the consciousness of who and what it is. So man, in his evolutions, had to become conscious of himself. There was a time, millions of years ago, and you were around then, that your consciousness was like the consciousness of the animals today. And the animals today had a consciousness then which was like the consciousness of plants today. And the plants then had a consciousness which was like the minerals of today. Do you see what I'm saying? That consciousness evolves, that it expands, until in man we're able to think about ourselves, to take stock of our environment, we're able to aspire spiritually, and to discern a spiritual meaning and dimension to our lives. So that whether you are a Christian, 
or whatever spiritual path that you're on, the goal <coughs> is to return to God in full consciousness of who and what you are, so that ultimately the whole universe is raised up to the perfect consciousness of God. It started from being God, totally unconscious. God began to densify part of himself off into his physical creation. And now that physical creation, through interaction with every other part of that physical creation, becomes conscious, and in development of that consciousness, it becomes conscious of every other part of the universe. So this is where the moral and spiritual aspect of life comes in. Because if you say, if you come to the realisation, I have come from God, that doesn't make you feel big-headed or conceited because there's nothing that has not come from God. But it also, it changes your relationship to other people. Because then you have to say, well, so has my friend come from God. So have my parents come from God. So have the people that I don't get on with. So have they come from God. So have animals come from God. So have plants. So your whole uh, way of looking at life then becomes changed because you see that God is in everything because everything has come from God. And so your life is changed and you become a reverent person. Uh, you develop what I call the life of reverence and awe. You are filled with a sense of wonder and love at the fact that everything and all around you has come from God and it's on its way back to God. So the purpose of life then is to come into this consciousness. And what happens when we die? Our physical bodies disintegrate and we return into to the spiritual planes. But then what do you think? What do you think our responsibility is? What do you think we are faced with? Let's put it that way. After we have died, do we just go straight to heaven and <coughs> enjoy the bliss of being reunited with God? Have you any thoughts about this? Responsibility is now that we, we try our try our best to, to to do what's right. And then and then when our our physical bodies have disintegrated, then then comes the time where, where do we go to heaven or do we go to hell? Yes. Uh, now you're we're we're coming now to talk about heaven and and hell. So we're talking about consciousness in the life beyond. Now, what determines your consciousness after death, would you say? Really, we've just had the answer. But what is it that determines you, the quality of life after death, or your consciousness of life after death? Any answers? Sorry? I was going to ask something else. Oh, you're going to ask some, uh, something else. Well, let's just have an answer to this question. What is it that determines where you will go? <laughs> what you've been doing in your life. Exactly, what you have been doing in this life. How you have lived this life. How do you know that? If you're God, God's, you are part of everything comes from God. Yeah. 
So yeah. you are God. You're part of God. Then. Mm -hmm. So why why go somewhere when you are God? Is well, the, well, the question is the question why is do you? It, it's one thing to say that you come from God, but do you behave? As though you came from God. Yeah. Oh, That's the question. We, we, we are God. We understand him like that. There must be evil spirits that try and try and mix in with <coughs> with the goodness and and moral. Well, what you're talking about, what you're suggesting, is that we have there are forces of evil which we have to overcome that we might develop uh, qualities of of character, strengths of character. What you understand by heaven and hell. What we're really talking about are planes of consciousness and heaven by definition is the enjoyment of God, the being reunited with God. Hell, if you like, is the separation from the source. It's the separation from God. It's the pain of, of separation uh, from your source. Now what determines your experience of bliss, or torment, for want of better terms, is how you have lived this life. Is it not? Because if you have lived this life in the consciousness that everything around you is part of the God from whom you came, then you will have consciously tried to live your life, to use the, a word which is banded around so much and so little understood, you will have tried to live a life of love. And therefore, after death, each of us comes face to face with, it's like a, a video playback, we come face to face with everything that we have ever thought or said or done. We come face to face with the fact of our failures and our weaknesses, our sins, would be theological now, and the fact that other, other people have suffered because of the wrong that we have done. It's at this point that each of us then, because we are part of everything else and everything else is part of us, the offence which we have given to any other part of God's creation we then experience within ourselves because we are that other person or that other part of creation against which we sin. Do you follow that? Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God from whom you came with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and your neighbour as yourself because your neighbour is yourself. You are your neighbour and your neighbour is you. Because you come from the same source. Therefore, after death, you are then confronted with all the good and all the evil that you have done, and inasmuch as you have harmed any part of God's creation, you have harmed yourself and you feel within yourself the pain which you have inflicted on that creation. And that has to be worked out. So that after death, there is a time of I was going to say probation, a time... The Catholic Church calls it purgatory. It's a time of cleansing. It's a time of uh, coming face to face with ourselves and realising where we have failed and making a determination that in future we will be loving and ultimately entering again into 
the blessing of God. Now, the young man over there has been wanting to ask a question. Um, what do you think about the near death experiences? Well, I deliberately haven't spoken about those this uh, this evening because I guess if you haven't had a talk on that, sooner or later somebody will come along and, and give you a talk on that. The near death experiences, which are uh, being much investigated by certain people uh, within medical science today, are the same as have always been described. They are perfectly valid. There's no reason whatsoever to disprove them. And indeed, we can learn a great deal from them. They teach us uh, many things, but at least they, they teach us, uh, if, if we didn't, if we weren't convinced of this already, that there is a consciousness that, that exists outside of the body. I mean, uh, part of the near-death experience is the fact of floating out of the body and looking down upon it and still feeling entire within oneself even though one's carcass is on the operating table or underneath the wheels of a car. So it's a good question that, and it's, it's, it's really part of what we're uh, thinking about this, this evening, but certainly do, do read up everything that you can about near-death experiences. Yes. Well, the the thing is, the um, when I speak about hell or the pains of hell, if you want to describe it in that way, you can never escape from yourself. That's the point sooner or later we must face up to the fact of our responsibilities in life uh, our responsibilities not just to uh, enjoy ourselves and get as much out of life as possible but our responsibilities to other people our responsibilities to the entire human race if you like our responsibility to the environment there's a lot more thinking along these lines today Ultimately, I might get shot down by, by some theologians or Christians here. Ultimately, it's not the, a question of one's mental belief or giving assent to the existence of God. Somebody may say, I believe in God. That is say, giving mental assent to the existence of a super being whom we call God um, the person who does not believe in God is in effect saying that they don't believe in themselves because they are denying the source of their existence we have to face this fact if we're thinking people well where do we come from we could not just have suddenly begun to exist any more than the universe can suddenly just have begun to exist without a cause no, no, that's... They can't believe it consciously, and they still, as you say, be good in every way, and therefore have a high quality of life and love, so when they die, they're not in the That's right. You see, that there's, uh, there is a, a form of, I think, extreme evangelicalism today, which which demands that you get saved, that you believe on Jesus, that you repent on your, of your sins, and the moment you believe on Jesus, you're saved. 
and uh, that's all that's required according to that particular line of, of thinking. If we think more along the lines which we've been discussing together this evening, you will see that that idea leaves very much to be desired. Yes? You Do I believe in reincarnation? Well, let me ask you the question. If there never was a time when you did not exist, and then will never come a time when you will cease to be, and you're only living for 70 or perhaps 100 years on this earth, where have you been for the past few million years, and where will you be in the next few million years? Sorry? Well, let's just come back to this. A belief in reincarnation is the corollary of everything that we have said this evening. Of course, the ego, that consciousness, comes from spirit down into matter, returns to spirit, comes back to matter, and continues to gain in experience, continues to expand its consciousness, continues to... Uh, realize its responsibilities and to live responsibly and lovingly with regard to the rest of creation until ultimately there is nothing that separates it from everything else. It enters into the consciousness of every other cell, every cell of God's creation. Put it another way, it's like if you're walking across the lawns here at Claysmore, you enter into the consciousness of every blade of grass as it is crushed beneath your feet. See, a lot of people think, oh, wouldn't it be wonderful to be able to see ghosts or apparitions or to have mystical experiences? Very wonderful indeed. But if you, are, if, if you want to have experience of the delights of the spiritual world, you must also be prepared to experience the bad aspects of the spiritual world. It's all consciousness. That's what we're talking about. So, yes, I do believe in reincarnation, even if I didn't find it in the Bible, which I do. And even if I didn't find it in the Church Fathers, which I also I do, I would have to believe it because I know within my own being, within my own self, that there never was a time when I did not exist and there will never come a time when I will cease to be. It is this knowledge that actually begins to quicken one's consciousness into the awareness of previous lives and future lives to come, of course. I would know about it intuitively, if you understand the word intuitively, I would know it within myself. In fact, I always have known it within myself, long before I became a really committed Christian in the way that I think of myself today. Yes, I've always, I've always known that. Uh, the interesting thing is, you see, that somewhere within, our, within us is the consciousness of the past. Uh, any of you who have uh, studied the subject of hypnotic regression will know that it is possible for... I, I don't advocate this, I'm not suggesting you do it, and I'm not suggesting that you, take, that you take for gospel everything that comes to light in these sessions. But you will know of the fact that it is possible to go to a session with a hypnotist in which he will regress you, he will take you back in time, not just to when you were 18 months old, but he can take you back to the time when you were in your mother's womb. I've got some interesting, an interesting tape recording of, of various people speaking about this on the, on the radio. Uh, extracts from tapes which were made uh, by a hypnotherapist of people who were regressed into the, to the time when they were in the womb. But they've also been regressed to the point that they have, people have remembered, or have purported to remember, because we cannot prove it, 
except in a very few cases, uh, they have purported to remember lives going back perhaps a century or two and sometimes a thousand or two thousand years or so. The fact is that you do know, and one of uh, the subject came up of, of near-death experiences, the fact is that, that part of the near-death experience is that suddenly you see your whole life pass before you, as it were, in a moment of time. So, whatever you have thought, said, done in this life is contained somewhere, it's locked up within your consciousness and under the right circumstances and certainly after death that consciousness will be quickened to us and we shall see again all of the life that we have lived and we shall see the mistakes that we have made and see how we have failed and we shall actually experience within ourselves the joy that we have created for others and also the pain which we have unwittingly inflicted on others. So life, death, beyond. There never was a time when you were, when you did not exist. There will never come a time when you will cease to be. And your purpose in life is to realise God, to realise your source, to enter into living, conscious communion with him whom we call God, whom we find in manifestation in this great world around us. Somebody will say, I don't know whether there's a God or not. That's not the most important thing. The most important thing is to recognise our oneness with all creation and to extend to creation that love and reverence and awe and respect and carefulness that we would wish others to extend to us. And I think we'd better leave it at that point.